All right, we're, we're making our trek through uh, Ezekiel. Um, you'll notice on your handout, uh, chapters 40 to 48, today we're, we're uh, the intent is to at least introduce chapters 40 through 43. Now, um, it is kind of uh, different uh, from other passages in Scripture. We get a lot about measurements. Now, um, the moment I say measurements, at least for me, and maybe for you, you might be thinking tabernacle, temple kind of stuff. Maybe, remember the uh, remember Noah's Ark? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and, and by the way, this is kind of a side, side issue, but uh, uh, Russell Crowe's yeah. Noah? We just yep. watched that. Okay, they, they've been having that on TV. I don't know why. Uh, maybe Christmas theme, but not really. Um, as far as I know, the rock people did not exist. <laughs> yeah, that's what we said. We had never seen it and knew nothing really about the movie, except that he said it, it wasn't accurate. Yeah. And then we see the first scene, we're like, oh, nothing is accurate. There, there's a few liberties that were taken. With that. <laughs> the one, I was like, is yeah. this Transformers? What is this? Exactly, yeah. And just, uh, yeah, there, there are a few other things that... Uh, just didn't really seem to fit a whole lot no. um, with that. So, you know, it wasn't, you could say it was loose, loosely based on the Bible. Um, have you ever noticed that? Sometimes they'll have this uh, preface for movies based on a true story kind of thing. Yeah. I often wonder how much is it based on that story. Right. They had the flood. There was the rainbow. Yeah. And there was a family. And the animals. And the animals. And the mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's another version of the Christmas Carol out this week, and it's nothing like the book. Nothing like the book. Yeah. It's nothing like yeah. It, it's it's more up to date though, right? No, it's for our modern times. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's it's placed in in 18th century England, but it is. It, it takes you a while to figure out well, okay where. That, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know that the text here will maybe will raise that question in terms of where are we? Because um, there's things that uh, that are being revealed to Ezekiel in, in these last remaining chapters of the book that uh, are very different from what we're used to, and and there is uh, that there is some. Similarity, uh, but also some differences to Revelation as well. Um, we might get into that a little bit. And, uh, you know, to, to speak honestly here, there's a lot in these chapters that I am not, you know, uh, familiar with in terms of explanation and, and the like, because there's, like I said, a lot of measurements. There's the east side, north side, west side, south side of the temple, and so on and so forth. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk about some of these things as we uh, get closer to them because I, I think it's also necessary to to review, if ever so briefly, what has taken place thus far in Ezekiel. Remember, Ezekiel was one of the exiles, one of the those who were exiled into Babylon, right? Um, you know, so so he's um, you know he, he's. Uh, prophesying to the people 
you know, about uh, about God's judgment, but also about God's judgment not only upon them for their sins, but also among the nations, upon the nations for their sins too. We've looked at that uh, just uh, several chapters before as well. And Ezekiel, at the beginning of the book, talks about how the glory of the Lord left the temple. One thing to remember about these uh, these remaining chapters is now we have this vision of Ezekiel of the glory of the Lord returning to the temple. And and the temple that is uh, you know that is referenced and uh, measured and identified and described is going to be somewhat different from the previously existing temple. Okay, so uh, just historically, too, you might recall there's the tabernacle. We'll hear about that a little bit in, in today's sermon, too. The tabernacle and then the temple. The temple was built under Solomon. Remember the tabernacle? God gave instructions, very specific instructions, concerning uh, how, concerning the structure itself. In terms of the kinds of material that was to be used, the dimensions. You know, so if you're an architect, you might, you might appreciate that. And, and the reason why I, I, I thought of the ark in, in uh, Genesis 6 is that specific instructions were given too concern, concerning the dimensions as well and how it was to be constructed, um, how it was to support uh, not only the people on board but also the animals for, remember how many, how many days it was? It was almost, it was almost a year, wasn't it? it was, or 150 days, I think. Um, it, was, it was a year that they were in the ark before it landed. Yeah, 40 days, 40 nights, I know it rained, right? Um, but, but here we have specific dimensions, specific dimensions in the tab for the tabernacle, um, and then also specific dimensions, um, well, maybe not so, so much specific dimensions for the temple that God had given, uh, but the, you know the way that Solomon constructed it, um, and and that's uh, I think an insight uh, you know for for the vision in the remaining chapters 40 and following. There are dimensions given, but not a command to construct it, and I, I think that's uh, you know quite revealing too, because many groups will look at Ezekiel and say, okay, we have to construct this new temple, but there's no command to construct it. It's more of a description. Of what is and and by the way, when we speak of visions too, like thinking of John, you know, uh, when he was on Patmos on the day of the Lord, you know, the mm -hmm. Lord revealed to him, showed him. Um, it, 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 it's uh, a cautionary note uh, to state that if it's a vision, then that's not necessarily an indication that we ought to interpret it literally, in terms of okay. So John saw seven lampstands, or a lampstand, or and you know, seven stars, and so on and so forth. That does not mean that uh, we are to construct, you know, seven lampstands or whatever, and uh, and, and the like. Or um, the one that is commonly heard with reference to Revelation is uh, is this idea that you know the horses with tails like scorpions, and you know, some would immediately say, oh, those are Apache helicopters, you know, kind of thing. Or especially today, uh, you know, uh, with reference to the vaccine, some of you may have heard this uh, a couple weeks ago. There was some talk. I pray it's not true, but some talk saying that you know, if you didn't have the vaccine, then you you couldn't shop, you couldn't you know, 
kind of like, and then, the, then uh, of course, extremist Christians would say, oh, this is the mark of the beast, you know, kind of thing. And, and we don't want to go there either because uh, something else is going on. Actually, we did see that a little bit in Ezekiel. Not the mark of the beast, but those who were marked of God, right? Um, and and there's, there's also uh, the relation to Revelation with reference to receiving the mark of God as well. Um, also, having your name in the book of life, which, by the way, you don't do yourself. <laughs> you know, um, not by what you do, but, but rather as a gift. So, um, so you know, thinking of Ezekiel too, in terms of where we are, the glory of God coming back into the temple, the Lord restoring Israel. We we kind of refer to that a little bit with chapter 39 specifically. How God will restore His people, and uh, and be with them, and and uh, you know that's another thing about the temple that we sometimes uh, may neglect. I, I think we, we talked about this a little bit before. It was a Wednesday. You know, where do we find God for us? I mean, some many people will say, well, I can worship God, you know, on the golf course, hunting, whatever. You know, not to review that too much. But there's this idea that we are the ones who determine how to worship God or where. But I, I think what is what is most striking about, especially the Old Testament and then also the New, is we do not determine where God is to be worshipped. God himself determines that. So I, you might recall, and I think this is in Exodus 20, God says, wherever I place my name, there I will be i.e., this is where you worship me, where I say I am, not where you say I should be. Okay? So there's a huge distinction there. And what was so big about the tabernacle? What was so uh, significant about the temple? And I, I think, uh, you know, reflecting on these things will reveal a lot then about what's going on in Ezekiel. With reference to the tabernacle, and I basically just gave it away, where was God's presence among his people? Clearly to be identified. Where was God located, right? And specifically, what was so special about the Holy of Holies, right? Because that was where the Ark of the Covenant should Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. So, and that was, um, you know, you know, we might use the word symbolic or representation, representative of, of God's presence. Um, but uh, you know, we we will recall that. Upon completion of the tabernacle, remember Moses and the priests could not serve in the tabernacle uh, because the, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, was filled with smoke. And I, I think I might have some I might have some references yeah, a little bit later, but, but the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord also filled the temple when Solomon had dedicated it. And they could not serve. And what was that a sign of? The presence of God. The, the presence of God. So again, you know, speaking of Ezekiel earlier on in the chapters of, of this uh, prophetic book, when the glory of the Lord left the temple, what was that indicating? That God had left his people. Right? Um, and now that he's returning, the glory of the Lord is returning, um, you know, that says it all right there. Now, you know, even as Christians, we hear, you know, about the glory of God. We hear of God's grace and his favor. Uh, just because we have it does not mean everything is going to go, now go smoothly. Do you, do you know any Christians who have said, well, now that I'm 
Christian, everything should go good. Everything should go well. I shouldn't have any issues, no problems. Um, and this is something actually that you hear quite often if you listen to it, um, if you're aware of it. You know, TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network, you know, other uh, TV stations and uh, really false preachers. You know, oftentimes they will preach that things now should be going so good for you because God is on your side. If you send $19 a month. <laughs> well, $19 is pretty good, right? Um, I thought that was just a start. Yeah. And, and it, it's really sad because they'll say, you know, they'll say things like that. You know, um, you know, God wants to bless you. Oh, I guess he can't unless I do something. And, of course, that's not what the scripture teaches. What does God do with those people now? I mean, when they're, when they're doing that, don't, are they doing this for God or are they doing, I don't understand why he doesn't just give them worms or something. I just, yeah. There's just. Yeah, like you, you might be thinking of, was it, uh, was it Herod? Yeah. Was it one of the Herods that, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, where, you know, he, he basically was, was in front of the people, and the people were saying the voice of a god, not of a man. You know, an angel struck him, you know, and the like. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say, you know, why God does not immediately say, you know, yeah, zap him. Um, theological term. Um, why why God doesn't do that? But I I, I can't say, um, you know, that the Lord would, you know, He continues to try His people um, for their benefit, not for His. You know, so you know, we we think of Abraham. I mean, that's a classic example, right? I mean, God tested Abraham, um, and you know, God tested His people Israel too. You know, by giving them manna from heaven, by providing for them. Um, he did it not for his own sake, but for theirs. They still won't get it. No, and, and I would say in large degree we don't either. Um, you know, because we we want something done right away. I've, I've heard, you know, this may relate. I've heard some people say when you confront them with their sin, well, God is not going to judge me right away. Um but but I would I would contend and, and I didn't answer this at the time but but I would say now yeah if you're if you're not concerned God is judging you right now um, by hardening your heart you know uh, sin begets sin you know God punishes sin with sin uh, the sad thing for me is that with with these false preachers so often uh, you you have many who kind of flock around them. And actually believe them rather than believe the very word of the Lord, and and that's one of the you know one of the great challenges I, I think of all times, and and that is to you know not only speak the truth uh, but also to point out error as well. You know why is something erroneous? Why is something not according to the word of God? And we see that with uh, you know remember Ezekiel uh, comments on false shepherds. We didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about that, but um, in Ezekiel's day, as well as in the other uh, days of the prophets, there were false prophets galore. You know, that were <coughs> preaching peace, peace, when there was no peace. And God actually, through Jeremiah, said, you know, they preach these things, but I did not send them. Mm -hmm. 
And, and what's quite deceptive today, um, and it's always been this way, I mean, even with Satan, uh, when he tempted Jesus and he said, throw yourself down from the temple, you know, because you won't get hurt because the angel of the Lord will, will protect you. He's actually quoting from Psalm, I think Psalm 91, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he's, of course, taking it out of context. He's not speaking it rightly. And, you know, even with, uh, e even with the, the, the first dialogue uh, between Satan and Eve, um, you know, Satan, he, he, did, he did get it wrong, um, but he planted the seed of doubt in her mind. So she, before sinning, externally disbelieved God's promise. You know, and, and, and I, I think, uh, I mean, there, there's always enough could have, should have, would have um, kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but uh, with, with reference to Eve, she should have just, should have just kind of walked the other way and said, I'm not going to listen to you at all. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the definition of temptation, I guess, is that it's tempting. You know, we want to give in. Um, I was wondering also too. I wondered if she wasn't thinking that she was superior to this lady. Could take him on. Well, that could be. I mean, you know, wiser. Uh, you know, we often we often see ourselves as stronger than we are, wiser than we are, more knowledgeable than we are. Um, you know, and. Uh, and with, with the people, the children of Israel, too, we, we saw this as well, like even in the temple. So this, this temple was the one that God had uh, promised, where God had promised to be with his people, and yet in the same place, they worshipped their false gods. You know, reminding us also of the golden calf incident. You know, it, it's not only that they were worshipping other gods, but at the same time, they were thinking that they were worshipping also the true God. Uh, remember, remember King Saul, who uh, God told him to do one thing, to slay the Amalekites, I think it was, wasn't it? The Amalekites. And he kept some of the booty back uh, because he thought to himself, well, and actually he says, you know, much like uh, Eve, or much like Adam did with his wife, uh, Saul said, well, the people wanted to, not him. You know, or remember with Aaron, you know, the golden calf, you know, Moses said, what did they do? And, well, they gave me this gold and, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't contain them. I couldn't control them. Yeah. Eli suffered for that too, because his sons, you know, were, were very improper priests. And, uh, you know, Eli did not keep a check on them. Not discipline them um, and the like, and, and I think Samuel too, if I'm not mistaken. You know, the prophet of the, the last of the prophet or the the first of the prophets, the last of the judges. Uh, his two sons were wicked too, in the eyes of God. And the people came to Samuel and said, you know, have a king over us because you know part of it I think was because his sons were so wicked and weren't doing what they should have done, and the like. Um, but. Uh, I don't know if I addressed your question or not. I'm just kind of rambling. Um, but 
In the time remaining, let's uh, let's begin to look at uh, these selected passages. Now, uh, next week, the intent is to is, is to uh, you know to uh, introduce chapters 44 through 48. Okay, and that will uh, that, that will bring us to conclusion with Ezekiel. I, I'm thinking probably that the the Sunday after Christmas. Wait, that's not right. The second Sunday after Christmas, because actually this coming Sunday. Not today, but this coming Sunday is the Sunday after Christmas. Yes. Right? So the Sunday after that, I'm thinking maybe of, of having some kind of review of, uh, of Ezekiel. Is there a test? Yeah, so I Do you want a test? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know I don't. Um, oh, um, God. I don't want to make one. <laughs> but, uh, anywho, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, look at... Uh, Chapter 40, verses 1 uh, through 5, to start us off. And, uh, you know, in, in some of your Bibles, you'll notice that uh, verses 4 and 5, you know, might be kind of divided a little bit or differently. Um, in, the, in the ESV study Bible, the Lutheran study Bible, it has 1 through 4, and then number 5 is under a different section. But uh, let's just go ahead and read to, uh, to verse 5. Uh, could you start us off, though, with verse 1? Verse 1 of, Isaiah, of Ezekiel 40. Yeah. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year that the city was struck down, on that very day, the, Lord, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. The man said to me, Son of God, look with your eyes with your ears, and your mind of everything I show you. For you were brought to death, that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. And behold, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple area. And the length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. <coughs> So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed, and the height, one reed. All right. So a cubit uh, was about 18 inches, or 45 centimeters. A handbreadth was about 3 inches, or 7.5 centimeters. Uh, so usually, like a, a cubit, you know, the, the length of your forearm, roughly. Um, of course, that's going to vary in size, because some people's forearms are longer than others, right? But generally speaking, about 18 inches uh, or uh, 45 centimeters. Uh, there's going to be a lot of measurements, and, and I, I don't want to get bogged down uh, with uh, with the reading of the various measurements and, and the like. But I did have, uh, as you see, I do have uh, some diagrams too, or some pictures that may be of help, not in terms of the size and distance, but just in terms of the layout. Now, I wanted to draw your attention to uh, slide one, it's 107. 
that starts symbolism. Symbolism forms the basis for the rest of Ezekiel. So chapters 40 and to the end of the book. Already God has promised to deliver his people from captivity. He now describes an ever greater deliverance through his promised Messiah. Ezekiel begins a temple tour and sees the exacting standards by which God measures mankind. People from every direction, tribe, and nation will flow into God's presence. Now, we, we might recall at this point that uh, that in various prophets, of course, there's mention of all the nations coming to Zion, to the temple to worship God. Remember one of the words that Jesus said, uh, you know, when he was clearing out the temple was, you know, God had made this a prayer, a house of prayer for all nations, not just for Israel. But then he goes on to say, but you have made it a den of thieves. You know, they, the, the people, and it was not the inner court, it was the outer court, I think, where, where they were selling uh, animals for sacrifices. Yeah. You just go to, you know, the, the you just go to the outer court. Um, at least that was the idea. Uh, but, but that was technically still God's house, right, where they were doing this. Uh, the place to get the animals was not there. Rather, they were to bring them, but because uh, the outer court was supposed to be for the Gentiles, right? Yeah, and and then uh, you know something comes to mind, you know, and that is the word convenience. Convenience. Um, convenience does not always make it proper and right in God's sight. So, uh, you know, continuing on with the reading, uh, Ezekiel begins a temple tour and sees the exacting standards. People from every direction, tribe, and nation will flow into God's presence. Ezekiel notes how holy the place is by mentioning that only the sons of Zadok can approach and minister there. So no longer the priest, because, you know, part of this too, I, I think, had to do with the fact that the priests, the, the, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, uh, they kind of went away too. You know, they became corrupt as well. Ezekiel notes how holy the place is by mentioning that only the sons of Zadok approach the minister there. Having completed their tour of the temple complex, the man of bronze leads Ezekiel out the east entrance, heading back to the location where their tour had begun. Ezekiel watches the glory of the God of Israel enter the restored temple from the east whence it had departed. So that's kind of a key theme in these remaining chapters, and that is the presence of God now once again in the temple constructed by God and God present with his people. Okay, so, so looking at here, look, looking at the diagram, you might be able to see it better on your handout, but you kind of have an idea of what's going on. So you have the outer court, you know, so the outer court is basically here, you have some walls, um, and then of course this is, you know, north going up, right, north, south, east, west. Um, this reminds me of, of how of the tabernacle too. If you recall, the the description of how the people were to be around the tabernacle when it was constructed, as they were moving out, or actually as they were moving out, but also as they were stationary for a time. If you recall, uh, the people of Israel were outside, of course, the tabernacle, and we had uh, basically four areas. We had Okay, so that would be west, right? North, east, and then south. And you had the people of Israel surrounding the tabernacle, right? 
according to their specific tribes and the like. So there's 12 tribes, roughly, right? Or actually, not roughly, but there are 12 tribes. Uh, and the Levites, um, you know, were, were, I guess they were their tribe, but they were kind of to themselves a little bit. You know, but significant rights because they actually served in the temple. You might also recall with reference to the tabernacle by way of review uh, that uh, we had uh, the three sons I think that, uh, that served in the tabernacle. One uh, one group uh, you know would be concerned about packing up you know and uh, another would be concerned with carrying it and, and, and so on and so forth. So it's very very structured and we find all this in uh, in the book of Numbers as well as uh, Ezekiel and, uh, of course, Leviticus with the sacrificial system. But you had the, the, the place for the priests. You had storage. Um, you had the entrance here. So this is the east entrance. That's where the glory of the Lord, you know, comes in. And then you had this entrance into, you know, into more the center, the inner court, as it were. And then uh, you, you have some walls here. This is the Holy of Holies as well. You have an altar. Uh, the uh, the Ark of the Covenant would be here. Remember, that's where the priests went once a year on the Day of Atonement to sacrifice, uh, to offer blood on behalf of his own sins as well as for the sins of the people, which is quite uh, quite revealing because you know the, the the Ark of the Covenant, the sacrificial system, of course, was going on until until when. Not until he was born. When it was destroyed. Until yeah. Death. Well, and, until uh, until Jesus died. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. In 70 A.D., you know, the sacrificial system kind of went away um, because Jerusalem was destroyed. Yeah. You know, and that was according to Jesus' words too. Why? Uh, not because they were Jews, but because they denied the Lord Christ. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and, and you know, we, we, we can't forget that, especially in this PC age, you know, PC political correctness age. Um, we have to, how should I say, get our facts straight. You know, some things happen because, you know, the, the things happen uh, because God says they will happen and they do happen that way. Um, you know, and, and not because of, you know, any explanation that, that we might give. And the like. Um, so, but but you kind of have a, a, a somewhat of a picture here. So hopefully this will kind of give you some uh, some idea um, of uh, not the measurements so much, but at least the layout. And and here uh, beginning at uh, at verse one, I know we we, we kind of read that already, but uh, as we saw have, as we've seen in Ezekiel before, a specific time and date. Uh, are given so the 25th year of our exile and you know it's, it's believed that uh, exile was probably I, I don't think if I'm not mistaken I don't think um, the temple has been destroyed in the initial exile the the uh, the temple was destroyed in, in the second round in the second round yeah um, so why am I not thinking of the number 586 587 I think it was about 597, so about 10 years prior to that that the exile took place, at least the initial exile. Uh, 
right? Um, but we have uh, on the 10th day of the month and the 14th year after the city was struck down, so that this would have been after the, uh, the temple destroyed, but now the hand of the Lord was upon him. We've seen that before. That also takes place with other prophets and with also John as well. You know, uh, maybe a little structure, a little different structure of phraseology there. But uh, we have visions of God. So again, this is not, uh, this is not physical, um, you know, in terms of the, the physical structure and so on and so forth. Uh, he is in a visionary state. Okay, so remember Paul in the Acts of the Apostles, I think it is, where he speaks of, he knows a man that was taken to the third heaven. Mm -hmm. Do you recall that? Um, you know, is that to be taken literally or not? I don't know. Or, you know, there, there's there's other places too. We, we've, I think uh, a while back we did speak about this. Was it over the summer? You know, Lazarus and the rich man. Mm -hmm. You know, some will take that figuratively, kind of as a parable. Others as kind of an explanation of the real deal, you know, kind of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to be careful, um, you know, about these things and speak with certainty where God himself, of course, speaks with certainty. You know, and, and that's why with parables especially and with, uh, you know, with language that is figurative in nature, we have to be careful about not translating that literally. Right? So, um, so just just be aware of that, and it applies here too, because there's a lot of damage that, and we spoke about this, especially with reference to Ezekiel. And uh, you know, it's it's related apocalyptic literature, for example, Revelation and Daniel. People get into trouble when they start interpreting literally what is supposed to be taken figuratively, you know, or, or looking at, uh, you know, like there, you, you've heard of the the, the word thousand years. You know, um, you know, does Christ come before the thousand years or after the thousand years? And we as Lutherans would say, well, neither. <laughs> because we are what we call, uh, and what others call, a millennialist. So that, that word a means not millennialists. Um, and uh, so this, this is important to note because uh, you've heard of the Left Behind series, for example. Uh, let's see, uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins were, I think, the co-authors in this. I, and I forget how many volumes there are. Does anyone know? I think there were seven original books. Okay, yeah. Um, another term for this is uh, chiasm, I think. Um, that's not right either. No, it's not chiasm. Uh, Achilles. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the Left Behind series, you may uh, recall, what's his name? The one from Full House. Jesse. What's it, Jesse? Um, Kirk Cameron. Yes, I think Nicholas Cage, wasn't Nicholas Cage in, in the movie kind of like along the same lines? Is that something we're supposed to be reading? No. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, you know, it, 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 it can be insightful, you know, about the, you know, and, and kind of it's, it's fiction, 
Um, but it, it, it's like one of those books that uh, you know are written kind of from a religious background, um, fiction, but they they kind of put their own false theology in there. You know, uh, but the the Left Behind series, uh, you know, kind of follows this this train of thought that uh, before the last day, before Judgment Day, Christ is going to come back. Um, so, you know, one of the scenes in the movie, and, and oftentimes you'll hear this with reference to Matthew 24 and some other places, where, uh, you know, where you, you have people driving, and then half the people will all of a sudden disappear. You know, and, and those who are surviving will get kind of a second chance to believe. Um, but that's not what Scripture teaches. And when Jesus is speaking in Matthew 24 and other places, he's not talking specifically about those kind of things that they're talking about. He's talking about something different. And that would be for another time, uh, of course. But uh, we want to be careful with, uh, with what we read. And... Uh, you know, with, with the Bible, you're doing well, okay? There's no question about that, but it's also in how the Bible is used, too, that is important. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that the Bible says this, and I, I, I mentioned this in a sermon uh, recently, and, and I will continue to do so, not every text in the Scripture applies in the way that we think it does. Right, so uh, you know, some would say, um, you know, and I forgive me for saying this because I, I said it already just recently. But uh, what would Jesus do? Right? Sometimes we just don't know what Jesus would do because Jesus did not encounter the same things that we are ourselves are facing. But I will say this: uh, for one, you're not Jesus. Jesus was perfect, and uh, you're not. Okay. Um, which is to say that we will make mistakes. We will make wrong decisions, and yet, because of Jesus, we have God's forgiveness. You know, we repent, and uh, we receive and believe His forgiveness, and then move on. Right? Yeah. Well, I think some of this uh, boils down to people trying to understand the Bible, and we already know that we're not going to understand everything in the Bible. And I think people have a hard time accepting that, yeah. uh, just believing what it says through faith, rather than trying to reason through it with our minds. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where, to me, the millennialists and all of that stuff comes from. Mm -hmm. and, and I also... Uh, well, I mean, you're not supposed to just believe everything that you read and everything that everybody says. You're supposed to be testing the scripture to see if that's what it says. And I think we do probably a poor job of doing that uh, because, you know, I read some of it even in the, well, I don't read other people's stuff, but, I, but the Lutheran Study Bible, and I go, where did he get that? What? You know, I don't, that's not what it says to me. So I think sometimes we do have people in a, of authority and they're stating what they think 
and it's not necessarily, it may mean that, it may not mean that. And I think we have to be careful about doing that. You need to take it with a grain of salt unless it has been proven to you through scripture and whatever, history and other things that that's right. Don't just believe it because somebody wrote it down and the study Bible is a fact. Yeah, well, and, and you know, kind of, you know, as one is able doing the research, so asking those questions, so, you know, how did he come up with that? Right. You know, and then trying to figure out where, you know, and because uh, there, there are, you know, believe it or not, um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you will, and, and that is that there are a lot of unanswered questions, you know, when we get to the Bible, when we look at Scripture, uh, that are just not answered by the text. You know, I, I, I uh, had a, uh, in, in seminary years ago, I, I took a class on uh, Genesis, Genesis 1 to 11. And one of the, uh, well, and actually the, prefer, the, the, the professor had asked initially when we got to Genesis 3, what did the snake look like? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, there were a couple different answers. Well, I, I think he probably, well, I'm not saying me, um, but some would say, for example, well, he was a huge python. Others would say, like, he's a small viper, you know, very attractive, colorful, and everything. And, you know, really, the answer really is, we don't know. You know, I mean, you, you, I mean it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion to have, perhaps. You know, uh, but, but there's nothing of certainty from Scripture about, you know, the serpent. Until that. Well, and, and yeah, I, but 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 even that, I mean, what was its size? We don't know. What what kind was it? What does it matter? Well, yeah, and that's or you know, it, or uh, but, there were nothing. Yeah. It disappeared because yeah. it was Satan in disguise. So. Yeah. And and by the way, too, you know, even as we look at this, I, you know, I think this is a good time, and we'll uh, we'll look at uh, 43 next week, a little bit more. But it, but it's also uh, I I think maybe a good time to just say. You know, when it, when it comes to Scripture, you know, we, we don't have the answers for everything that is said. You know, why did God say this? Why did God say that? What we do have is what God would have us believe, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and take to heart. And, and, and it's not the unclear passages uh, that, that define our theology, you know, that indicate our doctrine. It's the clear passages of Scripture, Right? How they fit in might not always be so clear, but that they do fit in uh, is sure. And a, a testament, uh, a confession of faith, uh, because Jesus, because uh, because God Himself makes it known to us. You know, um, you know how do the genealogies? I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but how do all the genealogies fit in? You know, uh, if you ever read, I, I think it's the first few chapters of Numbers. You know, it, it can really get bogged down with all the names after names after names after names. Uh, but when you start when you start to look at some of these, especially in, in, in some significant places, for example, in Genesis 5, you know, Adam uh, had a son in his own image, according to his own likeness, not God's, his own. Seth. You know, and then down the line, and then... Uh, Eventually, Noah comes up. Wait, I know that name. Uh, and what about Ruth? Do you remember about Ruth? 
Um, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Ruth was a Moabitess, not a Jew, or, and, and actually Judaism wasn't around then. Um, Yahwehism, um, you know, believers in Yahweh. Uh, Ruth was a Moabitess, but she married Boaz, who was an Israelite. And from Ruth and Boaz came Obed, and then Jesse, and then David. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3 has lengthy genealogies. And you know who's front and center there, right? Jesus. You know, um, so those genealogies are, are significant. But uh, not everything in Scripture is easy to understand. But we believe it just the same because God himself has made it known. And, uh, you know, through, through his Christ... Through Christ, he makes known our Savior. We'll continue with uh, chapter 43 uh, next time. Uh, feel free to keep keep a hold of these. And then uh, in addition to 43, we'll also uh, look at the remaining chapters too, as we're able. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your Son, who is our Savior, our Redeemer, the forgiver of our sins, and through whom by faith we have eternal life and peace with you. Grant us open ears to hear your word. Grant that we confess our sins before you truly and honestly and receive your grace <coughs> full and free through him who died and rose again. These things we pray in Jesus' name.